0: Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth about Jesus. He came into the world to be the King, Saviour. He came into the world to lay down his life for us, that we may have a pardon from sin and death in judgment in him. Help us to see the truth about him as we look at his trials. Help us to leave here rejoicing in Jesus. Amen. Uh, I love a good courtroom scene, whether it's in the movies or on telly. Uh, I love the courtroom scene in A Few Good Men. Uh, young military lawyer, Kathy, prosecutes old, grizzled Colonel Jessup, Tom Cruise versus Jack Nicholson. It's a great scene, and I'm sure you may have seen it. Uh, they have a conversation in the trial about truth. Now, don't worry about the details of the plot if you haven't happened to seen it. I got my hands on the script online. Uh, the script goes like this.
1: You want answers? That's my best Jack Nicholson, sorry. I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers? I want the truth. You can handle the truth. That's about
0: as good as I can do for Jack Nicholson. And at that point, we see that it's the courtroom scene that gets to the truth about the situation they're investigating. I could make my point and stop there, but it's the next dialogue that
1: I love. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth. Because deep down in places that you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Did you order the code red? I did the job you sent me to do. Did you order the code red? Yes.
0: The truth comes out in a trial. Sorry if that was slightly extended. I love Jack Nicholson. (laughs) And it's in a trial that there is a wrestle for truth. This morning, we're gonna look at the two trials of Jesus and it's gonna point us to the truth about who he was and what he came to do. We've already heard the readings. The trial comes in two parts. There is a trial before the Jewish authorities who we know as readers of Mark's gospel have set out in these last few weeks to have Jesus uh, removed and killed. And then there's a trial before the secular authorities. Pontius Pilate is the highest Roman authority in the land. And I want to come back to those two trials and see the truth about Jesus. Uh, We pick up the action in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priests and all the chief priests and the elders and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and there he sat down the guards warmed himself now at this first trial the charge is theological is this man a blasphemer and so in verse 55 we read the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. And notice in verse 55, they did not find any evidence against him. And so we see what kind of trial this is. In verse 56, many testified falsely against him, but their statements did
1: not agree.
0: Now, uh, there's a lot more we could say about the Sanhedrin. The gathering of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, as the uh, as the authority over the Jewish people in uh, Jerusalem and Palestine, they uh, operated in parallel to the Rome, the secular government that was happening in the land. I want you to see three things, though. The first thing I want you to notice is in verse 57, the charge that Jesus was a destroyer of the temple. They were looking for evidence against him and could find none, so they made it up. Uh, J.I. Packer, amongst others, observes a half-truth, masquerading as the whole truth, quickly becomes an untruth. And here's what we see here. Uh, Some stood up and gave false testimony against Jesus, and they twisted his words. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Uh, yet even their testimony did not disagree. It's worth seeing how they took the words of Jesus and twisted them. We could say a lot more about the place of the temple and the life of the temple uh, in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. Uh, In all this time, Jesus stood there silently. The high priest stands up. Are you going to answer this charge? What is your testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. It's worth noticing, against the false accusations, Jesus did not try and justify himself. Against the false accusations, uh, Jesus remained silent fulfilling the words of isaiah 53 7 he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth as the reader we know the irony of the whole truth we know that mark has been introducing to us the idea that the temple is not the building made of stones in Jerusalem, but it's the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ that will be raised up in resurrection on the third day. We've heard Jesus say that he will be the cornerstone of the new temple that God is building through him. In chapter 13, we've heard Jesus say that the... uh, stone temple will be destroyed but Jesus in his body will be raised up and if you need a closer look at that John chapter 2 fleshes it out here's the first truth we see about Jesus Jesus is the cornerstone of the new kingdom he is the king who is coming second thing that I want you to notice Uh, is we see the mischief of a gotcha question. Uh, Gotcha media seems to have become quite popular in these last uh, months and years. The question is asked not to get an interested answer, but a question is asked to trap and accuse. And we've seen this again and again in Mark's gospel, haven't we? Uh, After a series of flawed witnesses, The high priest comes back to the main question is this man a blasphemer and he puts the question back to jesus are you the messiah are you the son of the blessed one now here is a gotcha moment with a gotcha question he wasn't interested in hearing the truth about jesus he was interested in trapping him in blasphemy And again, as the reader of Mark's gospel, we see the irony of this whole truth. And though Jesus had been standing there in silence, now he speaks. I am, says Jesus. I am the Messiah, the son of the blessed one. And I think what he says next is extraordinary given the context. In Chains, at his lowest moment, he says to the high priest who is looking for a way to put him to death you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, this doesn't surprise us because he's already said it to his friends back in thirteen twenty six. But now he says it to his enemies. Uh, Jesus aligns himself with the messianic vision of Daniel. We can look back to Daniel and see Daniel say, in my vision I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That is an extraordinary thing for Jesus to say in this moment of his trial. From the silence, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One of God. At his most vulnerable, we see the truth about Jesus. And as the reader, we're invited to respond to this truth. How do you respond to Jesus, the great son of man who will establish God's kingdom forever, who will be worshipped from all the nations? Can you handle this kind of truth as we hear it this morning? The high priest could not handle it. He tears his clothes as a mark of mourning. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And we see that the gathered assembly all condemned Jesus as worthy of death. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice from this first trial. Uh, Some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and they said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Uh, You'll notice that Mark operates with layers of irony. We, as the reader, come to this scene, hear their mocking taunts, prophesy, prophesy. And we know that he has. We know for the last few chapters, Jesus predicted this moment. Remember Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests. You remember Mark 9, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. So when we get to this moment in the trial and the mockers mock and say prophesy, prophesy, we know as the reader the deep truth that here is Jesus the suffering Messiah. He's come to suffer to bring his people atonement through his own death. How do you respond to the truth about Jesus that we see here? Well, the second trial uh, brings us before Pontius Pilate. And uh, I want you to see that there's a subtle shift from a religious trial before the jews who were wanting to charge him for blasphemy to a secular trial before pontius pilate under roman law jesus anticipated this back in chapter 10 he said we're going up to jerusalem the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So by this time, Jerusalem was a city in a Roman province under Roman law. Pontius Pilate was the highest authority in the land and the only one who could sign off on capital punishment. John gives us some more insight into that. So the second trial starts at the beginning of chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate's backstory is an interesting backstory and there's some It'd be uh, good to have some more time to see that uh, he was a jaded politician. Uh, We have four camera angles on this trial before Pontius Pilate. Mark is one. Matthew, Mark and Luke give us other angles and other details. So it's worth if you've got the time going and reading them together as different camera angles. John especially captures the choreography of this three-way power struggle going on between Jesus, the uh, Jewish authorities, and the Roman authorities. Mark is more succinct in his details, and I want you to notice three things that Mark gives us on this trial before Pontius Pilate. Firstly, there's the legal question. Uh, As the prefect he has authority to sign off on the death of Jesus and he needed to be convinced that Jesus was guilty of treason. That is setting himself up as a king against, uh, uh, against the Roman Empire. The Romans weren't so, alert, weren't so concerned about the religious things. Even in John's Gospel, Pilate says, "'Am I a Jew that I care about Jewish things?' But it's Pontius Pilate who has gone down in history through the creeds to say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And in verse two of chapter 15, he puts the legal question to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? For the Jews, the question was for blasphemy, about blasphemy. For Roman law, it was a question of treason. Are you a traitor to Jesus, uh, to Caesar, Jesus? And uh, Jesus replies with an enigmatic answer. You have said that I am. Jesus replies. And in verse 3 and 4, we see that the chief priest who had already accused him, accused him again of many things. And again, Jesus remains silent in the face of false accusations. So Pilate says to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. And in verse 5, we see again, Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Uh, Pilate was a man not easily rolled. And although we get a skinny version of Pilate in Mark's gospel, we're at least told in verse 10, he knew that the Jews brought Jesus to him out of self-interest, not out of justice. And so he was testing uh, their commitment to having Jesus put to death. Uh, The other gospels give us other moments that really underline the fact that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. In Matthew's gospel, he washes his hands to say, "'I'm washing my hands of this If this man is crucified, his blood is on your head. In John's Gospel, three times, Pilate says, this man is innocent. And so we come before uh, the trial. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is unconvinced about the charge of the Jewish authorities. So the second thing to notice is that there is a chance here for Jesus to be pardoned. In verse six, it was a custom at the festival to release a prisoner who the people requested. I'm not sure if you noticed last week, one of the Bali bombers had his sentence shortened and there was an objection from the Australian government. On the day of independence, the government shortened 16,000 people in prison sentences as an act of um, generosity. Or on the 20th of January, 2021, uh, on Donald Trump's last day uh, as president, he pardoned 73 people. He'd already pardoned 180. Uh, Now, to us, this sounds like a dodgy practice, but it's a generally accepted practice for the presidents of the United States. And you can see it as a series of political payoffs. Uh, I've got a list of some of the people that he uh, pardoned. The White House strategist, Steve Bannon. He had pleaded not guilty to defrauding uh, donors. He pardoned Anthony Lewandowski. Uh, he pleaded guilty to stealing trade secrets. He, he pardoned the rapper, Little Wayne. I'm not sure if you're into his music. He pardoned Paul Erickson. Uh, who pleaded guilty for wire fraud and money laundering. He pardoned Robin Hayes, uh, who was convicted of bribing officials. He pardoned uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, uh, who was convicted of racketeering extortion and false returns, and so on. Uh, In the American Constitution, It says this, the President shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offences against the United States, except in the cases of impeachment. He cannot pardon himself. Uh, If you think, well, that's something Donald Trump would probably do anyway. It's a long-standing practice of all the Presidents. Uh, JFK, pardoned 575, and I could give you all the stats. Bill Clinton, 459. George W. Bush, 200. Barack Obama, 1,927. In this trial of Jesus, we're introduced to a man named Barabbas, a guilty man. He had been convicted of murder in an uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. "'Do you want me to release the king of the Jews?' says Pilate. It's worth seeing, and I think the other camera angles in the other Gospels help us see it a little bit more clearly. Pilate had no love for the Jewish authorities, and he was was antagonising them by saying, "'Here is the king of the Jews. "'Do you want me to release him?' It's at this point we see that Pilate at least has insight that the chief priests handed Jesus over out of self-interest and the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. Luke's camera anger helps us hear their cry, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. What we need to see here is the truth about Jesus. Barabbas, the guilty one, is pardoned. Jesus, the innocent one, is crucified. And so we see another illustration here of the glorious gospel that has come to us. The innocent one is crucified. So the guilty one can be set free. And in a way, we're invited to put ourselves into Barabbas' use and face up to God for our failures, knowing that we too are guilty. But as, Jesus, as Barabbas, the guilty one, is set free in this moment, it's because Jesus, the innocent one, is crucified. And the third thing I want you to notice in this trial before Pontius Pilate is that pragmatism trumps justice. We're horrified when we read these details. It's clearly uh, seen that Pontius Pilate thought Jesus was innocent. Not guilty of treason sufficient to be crucified. And so what happens next is even more appalling. He says to the crowd, "'What shall I do with the one that you call King of the Jews?' The crowd, uh, and it's worth noticing that the crowd is the Jewish authorities crowd, not the whole general crowd. That can get confusing for us. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? They shouted all the more louder. Crucify him. And I think in verse 15, there is an appalling phrase. Did you notice it? Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Pragmatism trumps justice. Now it's worth knowing that Pilate has a much bigger backstory and he was operating for his own political life in this moment. But that's still appalling, isn't it? Wanting to satisfy the crowd, he hands the innocent man over. Well, we see the truth about Jesus in the trials of Jesus. We see the high priest opposing the truth and operating to have Jesus put to death. We see Pilate Knowing the truth that Jesus was an innocent man, but ignoring the truth. We see Barabbas experience uh, benefiting from the fact that he was the guilty one pardoned. And Jesus was the innocent one crucified. And bookending the trials, we have Peter that we met last week, who himself denied the truth about jesus as jesus was inside defending uh, his position peter was outside denying him to the crowd but nonetheless i want you to see the glorious truth about jesus that we have seen through these trials he is the cornerstone the one on whom god will build his kingdom he is the messiah the anointed one who will establish God's kingdom forever. He's the son of man who will come in glory and be worshipped by all the nations. He's the innocent one being a worthy sacrifice that as he is crucified for us, we the guilty find pardon in him. So here is an invitation for us to take the truth of Jesus seriously. B.B. King sang an old gospel song, When Love Comes to Town. And in the way of gold gospel songs, he wrote these words, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew the sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town. I'm going to catch that train. It's B.B. Kingswave identifying himself as a guilty person needing the love of Jesus at the cross. At At the trial of Jesus, we're reminded again that the guilty man was pardoned and we step in those shoes. But the innocent man was crucified so that through his death, We might have forgiveness and hope and love. We heard the story of Peter last week 25 years later after he had been restored to faith. Peter writes to the churches, Christ died once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Can you handle this truth about Jesus? Amen. Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we are moved when we read the trials of Jesus that he, the innocent one, suffered for us that we, the guilty ones, might be pardoned in him. We thank you that he set his face to the task of laying down his life as a ransom for many. We thank you that in him the innocent one was crucified, so that we, the guilty ones, may be forgiven. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.